Good morning, Union Chapel. Come on, give it up. Come on, give it up. Great worship team, great singing today. What a wonderful summer uh, worship service. My name is Robin Wood, and I'm so privileged to be one of the pastors. I'm the pastor of church planting. I'm going to be telling you about our trip to Kazakhstan that we're going to take here July 23rd. I'm too old to travel 27 hours. Come on, people. 27 hours all the way to Kazakhstan to a Muslim country where it's illegal to even have churches and we have four house churches. Come on, give it up. It's awesome. So I'll be telling you about that. And uh, I just want to invite you uh, to be in prayer and cover Josh, who's on our staff, and Bobby will be taking some filming. And of course, all that's, uh, you're not allowed to tell while we're, while we're there, uh, what we're doing, but uh, you pray for us and cover us. All right. Uh, would you open in prayer with me? God, we love you so much. You're an awesome God. So often we praise you for your greatness because you're a great God, an awesome God. But today we also praise you for your goodness because what we're going to talk about, Lord, is your forgiveness and your, your willingness to give us another chance and willingness to, to stay with us when we fall. And Lord, we praise you because you're such a gracious God and you offered your son Jesus for us. And so we pray that we would fill your presence in a powerful way. In Jesus' name. We pray. And everyone said, amen. Well, I had to tell you a story I hope you never forget. It's been a big part of my life thinking about the brokenness of people who have never heard about God. When I studied the Larry Walters story, I realized he went through his entire life. Look at me, people. And no one ever shared the love of God with him. He never had an encounter with God. He never had a friend that told him about Jesus. And of course, when that happens, for all of us, we have a hole in our heart, but he had a big hole in his heart. It seemed like none of his dreams were going to come true since he was 13 years old. He wanted to be a pilot, but he had poor eyesight, and so that dream didn't come true. He kind of bounced around from job to job. His girlfriend, Carol, of 15 years, they lived together and never got married. And yet he just had this brokenness in his life. And so when you have this emptiness, you do crazy things. And so there's really a legend of, of Larry Walters, and that is that he thought, I'm going to fly before I die. So his idea, after going to an army surplus store, was he had a fake acquisition from his company he worked for in California, a film company, that, and he went and bought 45 weather balloons. And here's his idea. He was going to fill them with helium and tie them to a lawn chair. Are you with me? Are you tracking the story? And he's going to strap himself to this lawn chair. He studied how to weight it with some water bottles and tilt it 40 degrees. He took a, a CB radio. He took a camera. He took a pellet gun. He made some sandwiches and, of course, a six-pack six of beer. What could go wrong? <laughs> Do you got the picture? No, this is true. Just a regular lawn chair. And he tied 43 of these air balloons, weather balloons, filled with helium. His idea was he's going to float above his house in his area, maybe a few hundred feet, and then with the pellet gun, shoot a couple of the balloons at a time and just kind of float back down maybe a little bit behind his house in the Mojave Desert, Okay because he's from San Pedro, California. So he strapped himself to that lawn chair. His neighbors all showed up. He had tied a long rope to his Jeep. He said, now when I tell you, cut the rope and I'm just going to float up here and see what happens. They cut the rope. He shot 16,000 feet into the air. Just picture The next thing he knew, he was too afraid. He was so panicky. He did the six beers real quick, come on, which is the wrong thing to do at that altitude. Got a little kind of uh, hallucinated, but he was strapped in. And the next thing he knew, a CB radio was ringing because two airline pilots had called in and said, you can't believe it, but we got a guy in a lawn chair in our airspace over LAX. Come on, people. You can't forget this story. It's, not, it's a true story. And then... The wind blew him into the Long Beach airport airspace. Finally said, what are you going to do? And he finally got up enough courage to shoot a couple of the balloons. And he began to slowly descend and, and finally another balloon. And then he got so nervous, he dropped his pellet gun. Come on, what could go wrong? But slowly he floated down, got tangled in some wires near Long Beach and put out the electricity for about 20 minutes. He finally was able to to pull himself over to the pole and climb down where he was immediately arrested and fined $4,000. What an experience. Because he had a hole in his heart 
And you can't fill that with an event. You can't fill that with a thrill. You can only fill that hole in your heart if you're here today and have never known Jesus Christ. You can only fill that hole in your heart. It was created for your creator, for your maker. And we've all had that hole in our heart. But can you imagine going through all of life and never having anyone tell you about the love of God? Such a tragic story at age 32. There's another friend in my life that I met at age 32. And I don't know how you live your life, but I wake up every morning and say, God, who, who should I contact today? Someone in my extended life, who, who needs me today? God, just you place that on my heart and I'll try to make that contact. And a couple months ago, I felt a deep impression for this guy I love so much, but I haven't been in contact with him for years. Jim Berg. I met Jim when he was 32 and I was 32 and he came into my life. I trained him in evangelism. He had a radical conversion experience. He was an architect in Casper, Wyoming. I thought, how am I going to track him down? So I called a couple friends in Casper, said he had moved to Nebraska and I tried to find a number in Nebraska. And then I found out he had moved to Missoula, Montana. Now, Jim's life as I followed it, hasn't been very easy, but he does know Christ. He's had real pain. In fact, I don't know how parents survive losing a child, but his 19-year-old son was killed in a tragic automobile accident going back to college. And it's just been a horrific story, and we, we stayed in touch during those days. Now it's been years since that happened. And I finally tracked him down. And when he picked up the phone, now, I don't know why God does this for me, but I kind of had to laugh. I'm real wired and real high wired, you know, with personality way out there. And God always gives me a friend who's the exact opposite. So, Jim, you got to picture this because he's talking to me on the phone. He has no energy at all. So I'm providing all this energy, and he's talking in a soft voice. And I say to him, Jim, you know, 90%. Of people who lose a child lose their marriage. Yeah, it's been tough. And he's talking in real low terms. And but, but he said, and I said, and, and I know you've struggled sometimes with employment, and now you moved to be close to your only daughter because of this tragic loss. And and has it been hard financially? Yes. And but God, you, you know, have you found work? And then listen what he says to me. He goes, Robin. It's been painful, but I, I want to share one phrase with you. I can wrap it up in one phrase when you say, how are you doing? And with no energy, but with great warmth, guess what he said? God is an awesome provider. Would you say that phrase with me? God is an awesome provider. Wow. Just let that soak in just this moment. On the phone when he said that, I got chills. And I said, you know, I go, Jim, God gives me catchphrases. <laughs> I said, now this is straight from the Bible, but God is an awesome provider. And everywhere I get to speak in the next year, I'm going to tell this little encounter. I called him last night to get permission to share this. And he said, you know, I told Kim today, I need Robin to call me again. Is that, is that amazing? Because God, say it with me, God is an awesome provider. His sister died on Friday. And I called him yesterday just to get permission for this. And he said, I so needed you today to pray with me. He said, my sister fought cancer for years. And we got two special weeks with her recently. But yesterday, she knew Jesus, but it, it was a tough day. And guess what he said to me on the phone? I didn't ask him to. He said, God, say it with me, God is an awesome provider. And now she's out of her pain and she's with Jesus. You know, I let that soak in last night and I thought, I want you to leave this place today knowing that in the deepest darkness of our life, this is not a feel good message, but it's an awesome message. Not because I'm preaching it, because the Bible tells us that Abraham built an altar when God provided for him in a dark moment, when he said yes to a very difficult thing God asked him to do, to offer his only son. And he was willing to do it. But when God delivered him from that situation and did not take his son, he named that place 
Jehovah Jireh. Now it's custom for us, those of you who are new today, and those who come all the time know that we stand for the reading of the scripture. Would you read for this awesome, would you stand for this awesome passage as we read it this morning? In Genesis 22, we read that Abraham, God had asked him to offer his son. So he took wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said. Think of this as a young boy. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told Abraham about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, Abraham said. Then the angel said, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its thorn, hit its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering. So Abraham called that place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. May God add the blessing to his word. You may be seated. What an awesome passage, but a disturbing one. Would God ask us for something that precious to us? Well, look at me. He will ask you for your life completely. And so we have this picture of God asking for the promised son that he promised Abraham. And then he gave him. Now we didn't read the verses before this, but before he went to do what God asked him to do, he left a group of people that had gone with him and he said, we will go make the sacrifice and then we will return. He was already expressing his faith that they were going to return together, but he didn't know. He just had to be willing to do what God asked him to do. God will ask you for your life. And I want you to know that you can trust God with your life because God is an awesome provider. But you know, we have a problem as humans. <laughs> we have a problem that we trust God. We have moments where Jesus is everything and we give our life to him. I remember at 19, it radically changed my life. And we read about the great men and women of the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But we read about it and we find that they follow God, but they're like us. They have great brokenness and they can have a big fall. Now that's, that's a complicated verse. So I wanted you to find a verse that you'll never forget. All right. So could you throw up the next verse? This great Bible verse, would you say it with me? Could you move that? There? Don't you love this Bible verse? Come on, people laugh. Now, come on. I want you to say it loud with me. Say it with me. Humpty Dumpty. Come on. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Do you think you can remember that verse? <laughs> you people are awesome. That's the only humor in the whole sermon, so please laugh loud. <laughs> but you know what the truth is? If you read the Bible, all of the people God trusted, they had moments in their life where they fell. And yet God wants you to know today that he can still forgive you. He can still give you a second chance. Look at, look, look at some of the people in the Bible that we know had great falls. We got Abraham, 
Think of Abraham. Now we see him in a great moment here being obedient to God. But before this, God comes to him and says, I'm going to give you a son. But he doesn't trust God. So he takes his mistress. He tries to help God out. By the way, that's always a big problem. Don't ever try to help God out. When God promises you that he'll provide for you, let God provide. Don't do it in your own way. Moses does the same thing. I'm going to deliver, I'm going to deliver my children through you. And Moses takes it into his own hands. And at first he kills an Egyptian because he sees that Egyptian mistreating his own people. But you know what? Don't take it into your own hands because you're going to have a great fall. And so Moses does it his way and becomes a murderer and has to go into exile for 40 years. You do it your own way and it will take a lot longer for God to restore you and prepare you. And we look at David. David, a man after God's own heart, is called a murderer and an adulterer. And then Samson, maybe we're not as familiar with Samson, but you gotta read that story. It's an incredible story. God anointed him from birth to do great things, but Samson misused his power and had a great fall. He was given a Nazarite vow that he took from birth. His mother told him how special he was and how God was going to use him. But up until the end of his life, guess what he did? Some of us have done this. Everything that God had entrusted to him, he misused. You know what the Nazarite vow says? Keep three things, Samson. Don't ever let wine touch your lips. Don't ever take anything from a dead carcass. Don't touch a dead carcass of an animal. And then don't cut your hair. That's where your power resides. Three things. Seems pretty simple. Now read in Judges later today the story. And Samson begins to do what we're all tempted to do. We say we love God, but we want to see if we love God and, and then kind of meddle in the world, see how far away and yet not get away from God, but see how much we can get away with. He was asked not to touch wine. And when you read the story, you know what's interesting? He lived near what's called the vineyards of Timnah. And guess where he hung out all the time? In the vineyards. Now, if God asks you not to drink, you want to take a wild guess where you shouldn't hang out? I wouldn't hang out in the vineyards of Timnah, but he did. And so he broke that vow. And then one day he saw honey in the carcass of a lion. Nothing that seems that strange, but he knows not to touch a dead carcass, but the honey is so sweet. He loves it so much. He takes it home to his mom and dad. And they ask him, where did you get this? And he never tells them because he knows his mother will call him. His mother's been saying, God has a call on your life. By the way, can I tell you young people? Don't keep secrets from your parents. Oh, I know, that's what we do. Don't think, well, I'll get away with it. Listen, when you've been called by God, you'll have a great fall if you keep secrets. Have you learned that? Just the downfall of every addict, the downfall of everyone who loses their way is they keep a secret. And then he's told, don't cut your hair. And then he faces what all of us will face in our life. And that is some form of sexual temptation, some form of temptation to not live according to the way God asks you to live in your sexuality. When God says don't, he's never saying something to be negative. He's saying don't hurt yourself. I want every young person to hear that. When God says don't, he wants to protect you and provide for you because God, say it with me, God is an awesome provider. But we have a great fall when we don't listen to what God asks us to do and do it his way. Now, the apostle Paul tries to help us. He's written the third of the New Testament and he tries to help us to tell us that we are always Tempted, And that we live with this tension of being drawn to the world, being drawn by the sin that can so easily attack us. And so the apostle Paul doesn't set himself up as the perfect person. He says, don't trust yourself. In fact, he gives the instructions, die to yourself daily so that you can put Christ first. And then he tells us his own reality. 
five different ways. By the way, I want to preach something today that I've, I've never ever preached in church because we don't want to talk about Paul falling and, and having struggles and maybe being tempted by sin. But Paul tries to tell us, I have these same struggles that you have and I don't want you to have a great fall. So the first thing the apostle Paul tells us is he says, I'm the chief of sinners. In 1 Timothy, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I'm the chief of sinners. Now, he says that not about before he knew Christ. He's talking about his life even in Christ that he doesn't trust himself. And he tries to share that with us that, hey, if he's the chief of sinners and he's God's called apostle for us, What's true about us? We have to be conscious of the sin that so easily entangles us. Then he tells us in Romans seven, now here's where it gets real personal for us. Can I read it for you? Now, by the way, I'm gonna do this out of my living Bible. God is such an awesome provider. I went to my office today. I hope I can still read this. And I went to my office and I picked up a Bible that someone sent me in campus mail when I wasn't a Christian. And I had never read the Bible. And they sent it to me in campus mail. And I read this in 30 days and gave my life to Christ. So I want to read out of this. And how did God provide this today? Say it with me. God is an awesome, say it with me. God is an awesome provider. So listen to this struggle. I don't understand myself at all. For I really want to do what is right, but I can't do what I don't want to do. I want to do what's right but I don't do it. I do what I hate. I know perfectly well that what I am doing is wrong and that my conscience proves that I agree that this is wrong, but I keep doing it. But I can't help myself because I'm no longer doing what I know is right to do. It is sin inside of me that is making me do this. I know that I am rotten all the way through. Come on, don't you love the living Bible? I'm rotten all the way through. I know what's right to do, but I can't do it. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. Are you confused yet about this struggle that goes on? And Paul says, who will set me free from this bondage of sin? Paul's trying to help us know that we will always have this struggle. But then he says, only Jesus Christ can set us free completely. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The apostle Paul is trying to say, this is what goes on all the time for me. And there's only one that can fill this big hole in my heart. I wish someone had told Larry Walters about this Jesus where there's no condemnation and where there's wholeness of life because God is an awesome provider. And then Paul goes on to tell us that he deals with these challenges and these, these sins. And then he tells us about his sexuality. He says, now you guys deal with sexual temptation and you say that you're challenged every day. And then he looks at the people he's teaching and he says, I want you to know that I burn inside daily. I am, I am tempted daily. Well, nobody wants to talk about this. I'll never forget when I read my favorite author, Philip Yancey. Yancey writes a book called Soul Survivor. And in that book, he talks about a man by the name of Henry Nouwen, one of the great fathers of our faith, one of the great writers of walking with Jesus. Have you ever read Henry Nouwen? It's amazing stuff. But in Soul Survivor, Philip Yancey tells the stories of the dark side of people's lives that they gave permission for him to tell. And Henry Nouwen said, when I die, Philip, I want you to tell people who have put me on too high of a pedestal that I dealt with sexual challenges my whole life. This is, by the way, when I was pastoring in Phoenix and planted a church, I wasn't the deepest pastor. I still am not. And people would come up to me and say, if you could just be a little more like Henry Nouwen. Come on, people. 
If you could just be a little more spiritual. He prayed all the, he had this personal walk with God. He really had this intimate walk with Jesus. And I'll never forget when I read this story. I went back to those people and said, I'm too much like Henry now. Come on. Henry said, when I die, and he told Philip this, not to keep a secret. He said, Philip, I have dealt with my sexuality in ways that I've been ashamed of. And would you tell the people that have so put me on too big of a pedestal that only Jesus has protected me to keep the right boundaries. And I have fallen and he has forgiven me. Listen, Humpty Dumpty may have sat on a wall. So did Henry Nowen. Look at me. So did Robin Wood. And then Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh. First, he tells us about Lydia. He leads Lydia to Christ when he plants a church in Philippi, this, this wonderful woman that he meets, this beautiful woman, and she's, she's wealthy and she's prominent. And Lydia looks at Paul and says, if you're a believer, I want you to stay at my house with me overnight. And guess what Paul says? Come on, men, I want you to perk up here. I can't do that. He doesn't trust himself. Paul tries, listen, I've never heard anybody preach this text where Paul says, I can't do that because I'm not strong enough. Paul tries to open his heart like Henry Howard to say, look, I've got some issues going on, but I'm gonna honor God by trying to make the right choice. And then he finally tells us the big kicker. He says, I have a thorn in my flesh that was given to me by the enemy, by Satan. That God has called me to do great things. God has called me to honor him above all things. But in order to not become conceited with this walk with Christ and this call on my life, Satan buffets me every day. And I pleaded with God to take away this thorn. Now, can we pause for just a moment? Why did Paul call it a thorn? I want you to look at me. Because when you're ashamed of something in your life, when you're ashamed of something you might have done or have already committed, you don't ever name it because you're too ashamed. So you say, it's a struggle or it's a thorn or it's something I just keep dealing with or it's my spiritual Achilles heel. Are you with me? You call something a thorn that you're ashamed to name. Paul is trying to tell us, listen, Jesus is foremost in my life, but daily I deal with things that make me ashamed of myself. And I keep putting Christ, he finally says, I die to myself daily. I beat my body and make it my slave. He uses the word, I beat my body, make it my slave so that after preaching to others, I won't be found unfit by falling in a way that brings shame to Christ. He's try, are you with me? He's trying to help us. Don't you understand that? And see, I understand it at too deep of a level because at age 49, yeah, I had a brokenness. I had a thorn. I had to stand before my church of a few thousand and say, you need to forgive me, but I need to step aside. I need to find some healing because I'm broken and I need to honor Christ above all things and I need to find his forgiveness. And I felt so shameful. And I understood all of these verses because Humpty Dumpty might've sat on a wall and had a great fall, but so is Robin Wood. And only through people like your pastor I remember when Greg looked at me and said, I'm reinstating you. God has called you to use you in a great way out of your brokenness that God restored me. And I'm here today to tell you that that was a dark time at age 49. And a part of my story that I never tell because I'm just so ashamed of it is I went through this darkness and this depression, almost clinical depression. 
and I went to doctors and counselors and I was mismedicated for almost six months. And I remember feeling so depressed and taking so many different kinds of medications and I'm ADHD on top of all of that. Have you guys figured that out? I'm ADHD. I can't follow the slides. I hope you can, but here's the deal. I got mismedicated. And so while I'm taking Dexedrine, which is really straight speed to make me calm, then I couldn't sleep. So the doctor gave me Ambien and then he mixed it with some antidepressants. And then I was so confused for a month or so or two months. And I was taking this medication. I couldn't sleep. And then I couldn't feel my legs. And then I began to have suicidal thoughts. People, it was the darkest point of my life. But God, look at me, God is an awesome provider. It was July, very close to this day in 2004. I finally made myself get out of bed and I drove to a sports authority. I gained like 40 pounds. I didn't want to live. And I drove into this parking lot thinking I'll buy a tennis racket and maybe try to get back a little bit. But I couldn't even feel my legs. I could hardly get out of the car when my cell phone rang. And look, I'm not here to drop a name, but never before had she called me and never since. But it was a Anderson area number 765. So I picked it up in Phoenix and it was Gloria Gaither. You guys know Bill and Gloria Gaither. I was on a board with her, but I didn't even know she had my number. And she cut right to the point. She goes, this is Gloria Gaither, Robin Wood. And God told me to call you today because he told me that you were having suicidal thoughts. And I started to weep. I couldn't quit crying. I remember saying, I can't talk. And very warmly, she said, it's okay. I've got plenty of time. God told me to call you because he wants to save your life. And she said, and I, I've heard that you've dealt with adrenaline addiction and different. She goes, I know Archibald Hart, to which when I could finally talk, I said, I've read all of his books because I'm an adrenaline addict. And, and, and I don't know how to get well from that. And she said, I will make it possible for you to go to see him. I want you to follow this. And she prayed with me on the phone. She said, I will give you his number. I will make a contact to him when, you, when we hang up and then you can call him. I left that parking lot feeling like God is an awesome provider. And I drove to the Walgreens to pick up more of my prescriptions. You ready for this one? I drive up to the window. You've done that often. It gets a prescription. A woman came to the microphone and she said, Mr. Wood, how are you today? Not too good. I handed her the prescriptions. It was a third time to refill them. And she looked at me and she said, Mr. Wood, are you okay? And I said, do you know me? Because this is the area I'm out from here where I pastored 3,000 people. And she said, no, I don't know you, but I've seen you come in here with your children. And I've seen you be kind to your children. And I just, I'm just worried about you. And she left the microphone and came back. And then she said in that microphone, she said, Mr. Wood, look at me. I could get fired for this, but you should not be on these medications. This is going to take your life. You should never have these things three months in a row. It will cause psychotic experiences. You only remember what you're doing. And I've had that kind of experience. She said, I could lose my job. And by the way, I don't like your doctor. Come on, it got a little more enjoyable. And I didn't know what to do, except I had just left a parking lot where God had a woman call me to save my life. So I got the prescriptions, but I didn't know what to do. So I rushed home. I had the number for Archibald Hart. And when I read the prescriptions to him, he said, you should never be on this combination of medications. It will kill you. It will take your life. Then he said some unkind words about my doctor he had never met. Come on. And then after I hung up from setting an appointment to go see him and to fly to California, I still felt so confused. And I went into my bedroom and I didn't know what to, I forgot to ask Arch, what should I do with these medications? Even though I knew they were bad for me, I, I didn't know how to sleep without Ambien. And, and I was about ready to take it. I turned the TV on. Look at me, people. The Betty Ford special came on about her clinic and it was a story about Glenn Campbell who had mixed Ambien with Dexedrine and they were telling his story how you should never take these together. 
So I flushed all the Ambien down the toilet. And then I called Arch back and told him what I did. I said, Dr. Hurt, I thought I should call you to tell you I flushed the Ambien. He said, you should never have done that. You're not going to sleep for five days. Come on, people. And then I fell apart again. He said, oh, I'm worried about you. But he said, is there people you can check in with? Well, I can call my kids. And, and he was right, man. I didn't sleep for days because that had helped me go to sleep. And I was still feeling this darkness that night. And at midnight, there was a knock on my door. And Maggie and Steve Bardusen were so dear to me. And she came over because God told her that I might be having more suicidal thoughts. She says, Steve knows I'm here. I know it's where I know we just lived down a, a, a addition from you. But God told me because my dad committed suicide. Would you say with me, God, say it with me. God is an awesome provider. Now there's someone here today that you're facing so much darkness. You need to know that God brought you here this morning to save your life. He brought you here for hopefulness. There's someone here trouble in your marriage. There's someone here trouble with some thorn, some temptation, some sin, some addiction. Listen, you showed up this morning because God is an awesome provider. And his greatest provision is his son, Jesus Christ. And I got through that darkness and God restored me and he forgave me and he'll do the same for you. And there's so many other ways that God provides. In about 10 days, nine days really, we're gonna leave for Kazakhstan. And you guys that are new don't know this story, but literally in 1992, a missionary from France had a vision in Pastor Greg's office of, about people that had round faces and light brown skin. And she gave this vision of thousands worshiping in a meadow with, a mount, with mountains behind them. Thousands, not hundreds, not 10, thousands coming to Jesus. And they were worshiping. And it was so vivid that she painted the picture of what these people look like. It rooted so deeply in Pastor Greg's heart that he told his staff, and those of you who have been here a long time, you know Randy Crane. Raise your hand if you know Randy Crane. Yeah, 1993. First of all, Pastor Greg took two world tours. He went to India. He went to Pakistan. He went to Bombay. He went everywhere. He went around the world trying to find the people that looked like these pictures that were seared in his conscience, and he couldn't find them. So Randy had a burden for Russia. And so I... I checked with Randy recently and he said, Robin, in 1993, Gay and I went on a month trip to Russia and we went to all the provinces and we stumbled into Kazakhstan and we found the people that looked just like were described in the vision. And you know the rest of the story. 20 people from this congregation have gone there to live over 400 people have visited Kazakhstan. It's 27 hours away from here. And over 600 people through the partner churches have gone to Kazakhstan and you've created a clinic there and you've done many humanitarian things. But the vision that the missionary gave, now look at me, the vision was for people to find Jesus and to start churches. But it's illegal to start churches there. So you were there almost three years as a church before any family came to Christ. But look at me, people. Last July, a year ago, July, a young man stumbled in to this church. He had flown to the United States to learn how to plant churches in Texas and they canceled the conference. And he had spent his last $800 
and the Westbrook family from this church had lived in Kazakhstan for 10 years, way back about 20 years ago. And they grew up together. Josh Westbrook, who's now on our staff. Now look at me. This kid finds his way to Muncie, Indiana because he has no money left. And he comes to one of our staff meetings, Yasin. Yasin comes in and tells us who he is. He's the firstborn son of the first convert family because of this church. Come on, give it up. Because God, come on, somebody shout it with me. God is an awesome provider. And Pastor Greg said, give that assessment you have to Yasin. I think he might be our church planter. And so I took him through this whole week of assessment. Now look at me. Then we met with Pastor Greg and I said, he assesses off the chart. He's the one. Now listen to me. Yasin though, only 25 years old. He said, before we go on, I appreciate all the kind words from Robin. But Pastor Greg, I have to tell you about a broken time in my life that I think might take me out of ministry. And through tears and total repentance and humility, your sin told Pastor Greg, I had tears coming down my face. I love it that our pastor can hold it together. Come on, people. But he had tears in his eyes and he looked at your sin. Look at me, people. And he said, our God has already restored you. And you said, you became a church planter today out of your brokenness and humility. And God allowed us to send you sin. And he found Almas down from Wheaton College and we sent him back in the fall. And now we have four house churches and people are coming to Jesus every day. Would you give it up? God is an awesome provider. And then God makes life fun too. Yasin goes back to serve Jesus only. And a young woman who starts one of the house churches comes to love Jesus more than ever and falls in love with Yasin. Come on, is that awesome? God is an awesome provider. And I get to go back here in nine days and do Yasin wedding. Come on, people. I'm, I'm just full of God's presence. It's awesome. And it reminds me that no matter what we go through, we can trust God. We can trust God to redeem us. And it reminds us of our own story, that God's greatest provision is Jesus all of our life. Not just when we come to Christ, but even after we come and we have brokenness in our life, like David or Samson, or like Peter when he denies Jesus in the garden. We have brokenness. But Jesus is God's greatest provision. And then God never forgets our needs, never forgets our needs. So I go through this brokenness at 49. I'm single for 11 years. I got saved at 19 and God took me up to the Eaton Church of God right close here north of here. And for eight years, they asked me to be the youth pastor. They had six kids. I remember telling the board, well, I don't think I can hurt you. I can only take you down to zero. I remember saying that. And they trusted me to be their youth pastor. And I looked in those eyes of those six kids and I had the privilege of leading them to Christ. And I said, you can change the world. Here was this little church of 90 people and six kids. And they believed me and they brought their friends. Listen, I'm not bragging about this. This is all about God's provision. We became the largest youth group in our movement. We grew to about 150 kids. And it was an amazing story as kids found Christ. And these first six kids believed what I told them. And one of those kids was a cheerleader. And she brought all of her friends. She had influence and they came to Jesus. It's a marvelous story. And I went through all this brokenness. And when I was 53 years old, they asked me to come back and preach at the gathering, which is kind of an offshoot of the Eaton church. And on the back row that day, not knowing that God would ever provide for me again in a way of ever getting married again, said a young lady, and it was that cheerleader. Is God awesome? Someone say, God is an awesome provider. And I got connected to her that day. And five years ago, I married Julia Cross. Come on, people, give it up. Give it up for God. Is that awesome? 
God is an awesome provider. And he wants to provide for you. He wants to provide for you today. He wants to forgive you for your fall. I've had people line up and talk to me after every service say, God has restored me. God has forgiven me even since I found him. That can be your story today. All you have to remember is that Jesus is the only one that can restore and forgive you. He's the only one because he went to the cross. He died for your sins. You remember the opening story where the angel said, don't take your son's life. Well, Jesus was in the garden and said, God, please don't take my life. Choose a different path. But God said the only way for you and me to be saved was for his son to go to the cross and God turned his head and Jesus went to the cross and he ended up in that tomb. And the Bible describes, listen to me, read 1 Peter 3 today, read Ephesians 4, that he led captives free even while he was in the tomb, that he he preached in Hades, which was a place of, of holding where people had never heard about who God really was and who Jesus was. And Jesus revealed himself. Haven't you ever wondered what happened during those dark three days where he took the sins of the world upon him? Listen, Jesus kept revealing himself. And I asked one question to leave you with today. I said, God, what did Jesus say in that tomb? And I was impressed to tell you, Jesus said, when you're in the pit of Satan's hold in sin and you've died for the sins of the world, three days is enough to be in that kind of situation. Somebody stay with me, three days is enough. So I'm gonna look at you very passionately today and say, how long are you gonna live without letting God forgive you? Are you gonna live three years? Are you gonna live 32 years like Larry Walters and try filling the hole in your heart with some weather balloons? You know, no one ever told this guy about Christ. And at age 44, tragically, Larry Walters took his life because he had no hope. Are you gonna live... 13 or 15 years in a bad marriage? Are you gonna wait 30 years before you repent of an addiction and get help? How long? I think three days is enough. And God loved you so much to bring you here today to experience that forgiveness this morning. Three days is enough. We've asked Jocelyn and my daughter Gracie if they would do a song called Remember. I Remember by Lauren Dago. It's a powerful song about the darkest place of your life. Would you just remember what Jesus did on the cross? And I wanna ask you during this time to trust him, to whisper, God, you're an awesome God. I receive Jesus afresh today. I ask him to forgive me, reinstate me, renew me. Would you pray that prayer while they sing this song and then we'll come for the final blessing. Let me say a quick prayer for you. Lord Jesus, move in people's hearts today. You brought them here today to restore them because you're an awesome provider. May they feel your presence and receive your grace and forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen. darkest hour when I cannot breathe fears on my chest the weight of the world on me everything's crashing down everything I have known when I wonder if I'm all
can't stop thinking about. I can't stop thinking about. I can't stop thinking about your goodness, goodness. I can't stop thinking about. I can't stop thinking about. I can't stop thinking about your goodness, Gracie, Gracie, come on, give it up for that, give that up, you feel God's presence, listen, the reason I grabbed her, I haven't grabbed her any other service, but this girl has put Christ at the center of her life, you were baptized four weeks ago, four weeks, come on, give it up for that, God bless you girl, love you so much, listen, these talented kids, I just want them to know God will always restore their life, no matter what their choice is, he'll always provide for them. We are so blessed here at Union Chapel, and I hope you have felt God's forgiveness in a special way. Would you stand with me? I want you, I want you to respond two ways today, and I'll give the blessing. And that is, and I want you to respond, would you? If, if God touched you in some way today, if you received his forgiveness, if you know you have a thorn, if you know you've needed something to offer up to him, would you just raise your hand and say, I did that today. God bless you. Come on, be honest with me. That's awesome. Come on, give it up for God. That's awesome. God is moving in this place. I want you to stretch your hands out and receive the blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace and forgiveness now and forevermore. Receive it. Just receive it, would you? May the peace of Christ go with you as you go. 